0: Now it's time to talk about The Handmaid's Tale, that great work of feminist dystopian fiction. It returns to TV for a second season this week on Hulu. We talked about it a year ago with the woman who wrote it, Margaret Atwood. She's written more than 20 novels and 30 or 40 other books, poetry, essays, short stories, other stuff. Today we want to talk about The Handmaid's Tale. It's a story about the United States after a coup has abolished democracy and established a theocratic dictatorship. The book has been translated into more than 40 languages. Now it's a Hulu miniseries and starring Elizabeth Moss, who is fabulous. It's also the first work of feminist dystopian fiction ever featured in a Super Bowl halftime ad. So Margaret Atwood, welcome.
1: Thank you. Is it the first work of fiction period that was ever featured in a Super Bowl halftime ad? I
0: I think so. Those ads are mostly, you know, beer and, and cars.
1: Well, there you go. Good I, company.
0: Anyway, congratulations to you and Hulu for getting this on TV during Trump's first 100 days That's quite an achievement well
1: I, th- I think it was a I think it was a coincidence because they started planning the series quite a long time before the election and they started putting it together I think Elizabeth Moss signed in April of 2016 and they started filming in September of sixteen, So it's just that the election gave it much more relevance.
0: Yeah. In fact the LA Times called the Hulu handmaid's tale shockingly relevant in the age of Trump. But what would it what would have happened if, if Hillary had won? What would have been like to win? Well I it think down? it
1: would have been like, oh look what we just avoided. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It might have been that, or it might have been Hillary is the new Ann Dowd playing Aunt Lydia. It might have been that. (laughs) We don't actually
0: know. Oh, dear. The Handmaid's Tale does seem shockingly relevant in the age of Trump, but I, I don't think you were thinking about Donald Trump when you wrote it, were you?
1: I was not thinking about Donald Trump back in 1984 when I started writing it. I was thinking about dictatorships of the 20th century, and uh, also the kinds of talking that people were already doing in the United States at that time, which I was finding in magazines and newspapers, and they were talking about what they would like to do should they get the power to do it. So which, which of uh, recently acquired women's rights would let they like to abolish and roll back, among other things?
0: In the story of The Handmaid's Tale, the birth rate has fallen drastically because toxic pollution has interfered with fertility, and women who are still fertile are enslaved to ruling class men and their wives to bear children for them. There's also a totalitarian Christian police state fighting a... Yeah, I
1: wouldn't call it Christian. What would you call, I would it? call it? I would call it just, It's it's theocratic, and it's literalist but the part about loving your neighbor is not in there (laughs)
0: that's excellent point as rebecca mead wrote in that wonderful piece in the new yorker the book and the miniseries quote do not map closely onto the present moment mostly because donald trump while he's a misogynist he's not particularly religious he likes supermodels he brags about grabbing pussy Nevertheless, the book does seem shockingly relevant. I wonder what you see as the parts that feel most familiar today.
1: Okay, so Donald Trump, and and when you ask people who know the world, why did the evangelicals vote for him? Yeah. So it's not Donald Trump you're looking at there. It's who supported him and, and why. And uh, there's a biblical explanation for everything, and I do know the Bible quite well because I'm Canadian of a certain generation and we had it in school. So what their explanation is is that God has often used ungodly figures to advance God's agenda, and they will mention people like Nebuchadnezzar and things like that. So they see Donald Trump as an ungodly figure who nonetheless has been used by God to advance God's agenda, namely theirs. So that's how it maps onto the present moment. That is the that is the thinking of the supposedly Christian evangelicals who voted for Donald Trump, hoping that he would help them get what they wanted.
0: And of course, we have Vice President Pence, who is a religious patriarch and misogynist.
1: Yeah. Well. Uh, I don't know about his misogyny, but but certainly he is much more orthodox, shall we say, than Donald Trump has ever been.
0: And basically the whole return to patriarchy seems very much a part of the Trump White House, just those pictures of all the old white men uh, wearing uh, blue suits shoulder to shoulder.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's part of the message. And part of the message is, quote, America is back, and that's what they think of America as being. But as I've said on a lot of occasions, underneath the 18th century Enlightenment that gave you the Constitution, there is a 17th century theocracy that was Puritan. And one thing the Puritans and the Protestants in general did was they got rid of all of the female saints and demoted the Virgin Mary. So that they really got rid of a lot of uh, female iconography and symbolism that had been in Christianity before. They just dumped it out the window, and what remained was pretty solidly male. In fact, somebody has a study of people who were stolen away by indigenous people in the 17th century, and among those people stolen, all of the men wanted to get back. And very few of the women did because they were actually having more fun among the indigenous <laughs> oh people, goodness. where women had higher status.
0: This this is uh, this is not the way they told the story in that John Wayne movie, The Searchers.
1: They did not. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, yeah, there's there's quite a lot of actually research done in this area, and there's a book called The Unredeemed Captive, in which. Uh, Woman is stolen away, and and they they find it where she is, and try to get her to come back, and she just doesn't want to.
0: I think I saw you for a minute on screen in the Hulu miniseries. Mini the the scene where one of the handmaids, one of the girls, says she was gang raped at fourteen and had an abortion, and there's a circle of women around her, and you're you're part of the circle, and.
1: So there's there's two circles around here. one of them are the handmaids and the others are the aunt lydia's.
0: The aunt lydia's and and yeah. the the head aunt lydia says after hearing the story of the gang rape at 14, whose, whose fa- fault was it? And and what do you answer?
1: Well, the circle answers her fault. And my character I should say the central character Elizabeth Moss playing Offred isn't pointing and saying that. And my character bops her over the head to make her join in. Pay attention and start chanting now.
0: (laughs) So whose fault was it her fault? And who led them on? And what's your answer? She did. She did.
1: So in my generation, people used to say she got herself raped, Mm. you know, as if it was an
0: autonomous act. And then Aunt Lydia asks, why did God allow such a terrible thing to happen?
1: Yes. And that they say, teach her a lesson
0: teach her a lesson. And so I wonder what it was like for you to do that scene.
1: Oh, I think it was pretty painful. I mean, it's always, it it brings back that whole generation. Well, the good old days, you know, the good old days, that's what things were like. So if mishaps happened, it was your fault.
0: Well, the week that Trump took the oath of office, you wrote a piece for The Nation, on the subject of the obligations of the artist in the age of Trump, you, you looked at the argument that artists and writers have a special responsibility to speak truth to power. A
1: Yeah, you can't tell them to do that. You can't tell artists and writers what to do. Uh, but some of them will do that.
0: Yeah, I I thought you had a wonderful argument where you said uh, artists are being lectured on their moral duty. How come other other professionals aren't in? Who are
1: <laughs> Let's hear it for dentists. <laughs> yeah. What about
0: what about the obligations of dentists in the age yeah, of what Trump? About them?
1: Yeah, <laughs> the obligations of dentists in the age of Trump stand up for dentistry. <laughs> uh, I don't think dentistry is actually being threatened yet, although it might be soon.
0: When you wrote A Handmaid's Tale, that was, of course, in the age of Reagan, the middle of uh, Reagan's uh, eight-year term. Did you write A Handmaid's Tale out of some kind of sense of obligation to speak truth to power?
1: No, I I, I don't. um, As I say, you can't tell artists and writers that they have a special obligation as artists and writers. And, in fact, there's nothing inherently sacred about books. There's nothing inherently sacred about art and books and art have often been employed in the service of dictatorship. So uh let's not get too holy about that. I write things that interest me and that's what authors do. So if they're writing something that doesn't interest them it's not gonna be very good, is it? <laughs> uh, uh so so I think I think we're always we're always piling onto artists and writers' obligations that ought to be the obligations of every citizen.
0: So what kind of artistic responses to Trump might be uh, possible? Of course, we have lots of satire that makes fun of yeah. Trump.
1: Yeah, I, it, it never really... I mean, it, it's interesting and, and funny to those on a certain side of politics, but I, I don't think that Charlie Chaplin's satire of Hitler... Stopped Hitler from doing World War II, yeah. did it? No. You know, so what kind of art is likely to come out of it? If, if nothing else, I would say the art of witness. So people making a record of the times we live in. But the times we live in are so volatile and so changeable. You don't know from one week to the next what this administration is likely to do or say. I think people just haven't got a grip on it yet.
0: The New Yorker profile by Rebecca Mead says that you went to one of the uh, women's marches the day after Trump's inauguration. What What was that like?
1: The one in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's even at one remove for people in Canada. It's not actually our president, but I'm, people were marching in sympathy. So they were showing support for for people south of the border. And that is, <laughs> that's is—that's kind of an odd thing when you come to think of it. But people all over the world did that. March in Toronto was, was one of those. And what happened with all of those gatherings was they were a lot bigger than people thought they were going to be. So there was this huge, massive people. I'm not sure that much marching took place because it was hard to move. And also, you couldn't you couldn't hear anything, <laughs> so you couldn't hear any of the speakers. But you were there.
0: <laughs> you were there. So
1: I saw a lot of old friends. Hi, <laughs> can you hear anything? No, <laughs> like your hat. I saw a lot of interesting signs. Yeah, and, tell us
0: about the signs.
1: Well, the signs were great. I think my favorite sign was a, an older woman holding a sign that said, "After 60 years, I'm still holding. Why am I still holding this?" effing sign. <laughs> but there are also a number of Handmaid's Tale signs uh, of many kinds, a lot that said, make Margaret Atwood fiction again, which wasn't very encouraging to me personally, but I think they meant my book.
0: I think they meant make the Handmaid's Tale fiction That's again. what they meant.
1: <laughs> That's what they meant.
0: Margaret Atwood wrote about artists in the age of Trump for The Nation. You can find it at thenation.com. Margaret, thanks so much for everything you do, and thanks for talking with us today.
1: And thank you.
0: We spoke with Margaret Atwood a year ago. The second season of The Handmaid's Tale starts this week on Hulu.